Good morning. Let's pray. Father, indeed, that is true. We're nothing without you. And every now and again, you take mercy upon us and grace and show us that our need of you is tremendous. And Lord, we can say we're nothing without you. For you hold the future. You hold the present. And you've directed our past, Lord. And you've led us to that point where we can say we're really nothing without you. But Lord, we're yours. And we're here to worship you. Here to try and bring glory to your name, Lord. So be with us. Thank you for the time we've had to sing worship songs. And now, Lord, be with us as we study your word. As we look at the bowls of wrath being poured out upon this world, which are very close, very very near in our future as we see things, Lord. So let us look at it by your Spirit. Make it real to us, Lord. We pray for this and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Chapter 16 of Revelation. Last week we looked at the first bowl that was poured out, and we'll look at additional bowls this morning. But you've heard, and I have heard, he or she is so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. I sort of challenge that. If you are so earthly minded, you are no heavenly good. Hmm, there's one. (laughs) Taking that one step further, if you are so earthly minded, only concerned about how everything affects you, don't worry about heaven. You're not going. So, I recently read where a young lady raised out on the farm out in the country, she lost her younger sister to an accident on the farm. Uh, the younger sister was ran over by a, by a car in the front yard or a truck. Or, but anyway, a vehicle, and she was killed. The father of this young girl, he was distraught, and he was grieving, and he blamed God for the death of his little girl, and he never attended church again. And that is so typical of mankind. We blame God for anything that comes our way that we think is unpleasant. That is way too common in our makeup. This father of that little girl had put conditions on God. He had put expectations on God. And this is what it was. As long as things are good, I will serve you, God. And isn't this trying to manipulate God? Isn't it uh, trying to say, protect me and mine on my terms, God? And God, don't do anything I consider bad Don't allow anything bad to come into my life. And there is a great 
problem with that outlook. Most people only consider the here and now and how that situation affects them today. To have a belief that this physical life must be preserved at all cost happens to be contrary to Scripture. But we don't look at it that way, do we? Jesus said, if you want to gain life, you've got to lay down your life. And unless you're very young, you have experienced death of a loved one or someone close to you. And our little fellowship has not been immune to this, and we've had some sterling examples. Some of you remember Chrissy Ratzel? Well, she, after they left here and they went to Germany, he was in the service, they had a baby and the baby died, lived for a few weeks and this baby died. Then a while later, Chrissy lost her husband to a brain tumor. Now here's the good news. Chrissy is still serving God. And recently she remarried. And she had another baby, a little girl. And so that's, that's good. And of course we all knew Lisa Magaha who lost her husband in April tornadoes. But neither one of these godly women blamed God for the loss of life in their families. There is one little thing that I don't understand. Both of these ladies moved back to Washington State. Now what's up with that? Don't know. Who would move to Washington or St. Louis for as that goes? Just a question. <laughs> In Revelation 16, the final bowls of judgment that come upon mankind. Mankind that has rejected Christ, mankind that even has blasphemed the God of heaven. Now consider this, in the midst of the worst calamities that will ever come upon this world, the worst plagues ever, most of mankind is going to blame God for their pain and agony. They're not willing to admit I am in the situation I am in because I willingly have chosen my selfish sin and desires over God's way of salvation. For God has provided a way for man to avoid his wrath, and that is through his Son. But they, they somehow miss that. And in chapter 16, we read of God's final judgment. God's final bowls of, of plagues, bowls of wrath, which bring everything on this earth to an end. Chapter 16, without a doubt, is the darkest chapter in all of Scripture. And in a moment, we're going to read chapter 16, or most of it. And we're going to read up to the fifth bowl, and the fifth bowl ends in verse 11, 
But after verse 11, God no longer calls for man to repent. Nor does he offer repentance to man after verse 11 of this chapter. Therefore, listen carefully as we read of mankind's last opportunity to turn and repent. Let's read chapter 16, 1 through 11. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became uh, blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the power and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent, nor give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores, and did not repent of their deeds. Last week we looked at the first bowl, a foul and loathsome sword that comes upon those who have the mark of the beast. Perhaps, just perhaps, this sore is a direct effect from a tiny lithium battery in a chip that is placed under the skin, perhaps known as the mark of the beast. And they place this chip or this mark on the forehead or on the back of the hand, an area of our body that changes temperature most rapidly. Our forehead and our hands change temperatures quicker than any place on our body. And this change of body temperature, from what I understand, is what recharges these little lithium batteries. And it appears that these chips could be what are causing these painful, severe foul and loathsome sores that come upon man. These sores, or as some translations say boils, are, are foul and loathsome. And we talked about that at length last week, about foul-smelling or decaying flesh all around you. And these bowls of wrath, they, they seem to come 
one right after another. They seem to come very rapidly upon man. So let's look at the second bowl. The seas, the oceans are plagued with red tide or blood in color. Back in the trumpet judgments, one-third of the seas became as blood. Now we have all of the oceans, all of the seas becoming as blood. In the book of Exodus, one of the plague was for the Nile River to become as blood, thus killing the fish. Now the Egyptians happened to look to the Nile River as their source of life for food and uh, irrigation and that kind of thing. Around the world today, we have what is called red tide, where microorganisms multiply and they turn the water red. And they turn the water red, but they also deplete the water of oxygen. And thus, many uh, fish are killed, all uh, sea life dies in these areas of uh, red tide. In many parts of the world, seafood happens to be a staple of the diet. So we have a famine of food when all sea life is taken away. And we've had previews of this. In 1949, Florida experienced a huge area of red tide. And it killed all of the sea life for many square miles. Not only did it kill sea life, if you ate any of these fish or anything else, you were poisoned and you became very sick. Sick. Now, the third bowl, it comes right after this second bowl. And the angel over the fresh waters, he has a word for mankind after what appears as all the fresh water supplies becoming as blood. And what does this angel say? Well, it's in verse 5 and 6. You are righteous, O Lord, righteous in your bold judgments upon the waters by turning them into blood. Now, God didn't need an angel to tell him that he was doing right and this was a, a appropriate judgment, but this angel declares it. There is a direct correlation between this judgment of the waters into blood and the people who are forced to drink this red water, bloody water, these who have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets. These are the ones that are now forced to drink this red, bloody water. You see, God is able to separate whom his plagues fall upon. And that's comforting because Moses called down plagues on Pharaoh in Egypt, but Israel was spared and they're right there in the midst of Egypt. Perhaps a separation of plagues is occurring here. Perhaps. But according to this angel over the waters, this plague is pure justice to those who have been part of the shedding of the blood of the saints and the prophets. The angels are pleased with this judgment. Verse 7, 
another angel comes from the altar, he too confirms. He says, true and righteous are your judgments, Lord God. And he's saying this is a fair and just judgment by God, a fitting, a well-thought-out judgment. In God's wrath, he is just and fair. Our God, our Lord, doesn't fly off the handle, does not take any pleasure in the judgments against even sinful mankind. And these verses take a moment to tell us that again. God takes no delight in the destruction of the wicked. Our God is not a vigilante. Our God never seeks whom he may devour. Then we have the fourth bowl. And it's a plague. It's on the sun. And how it affects life here on earth. It could be that our ozone layer is disturbed or even depleted. And men are scorched by the fire of the sun. Regardless of the ozone, man is scorched with a great heat. Could be the scorching sun causes these little lithium chip batteries to go crazy and malfunction. They overheat. Maybe that's what causes the sword. And that's speculation. However, the scorching, the sunburns that these men will suffer are not speculation. Have you ever had a bad sunburn? A blister-type sunburn? Then you know what suffering's all about. As I began to lose my hair, I learned to wear caps. I learned to wear hats. And you learn quickly. <laughs> because sunburn on the top of your head is very painful. You smile and you feel it. You know, you go, I'm not going to do that again. And you dare not touch a person who has a sunburn. You ever notice that? They don't want you to touch them. You don't touch them because they may kill you. You know. <laughs> However, man, even being scorched with, you know, from the sun, does not repent, even though he's in tremendous pain. But they do blaspheme God. That's called audacity. Then the fifth angel, he pours out his bowl, and his target is the throne of the beast. Now here again, we have a distinct separation of wrath. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And conversely, Satan is known as the prince of darkness, and this fifth angel pours out darkness. The kingdom of the beast is filled with darkness. Darkness has occurred several times upon the earth in the form of a plague or judgment. Moses, 
in his announcements of the ninth plague upon Pharaoh in Egypt, and that plague was darkness. Now, it wasn't just a dark evening with no moon. It was darkness so dark, so severe, that you could feel it. I don't know if I've ever felt darkness. In Exodus 10.21, we read, Darkness over the land of Egypt was there for a period of three days, and this darkness could be felt. It's pretty dark. However, there was light in the dwellings of the Israelites. We had another darkness that covered the earth as Jesus hung on the cross. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they record that it was dark from the sixth hour until the ninth hour. God's judgment upon sin, upon Jesus, his own son, for our sins, brought darkness. Jesus has something to say about darkness. In John 3, 19, uh, Jesus said, This is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Men, sinful men, love darkness rather than light. That's a condemnation judgment by Jesus on the evilness of a man's heart, a dark heart. <clears throat> and it's only fitting, you know, again, a just judgment upon those who love darkness to have darkness come upon them. There's a parable in Matthew, chapter 25, verse 30, a parable of talents. Not abilities, but talents being a form of money. And those who do not use their talents, their God-given talents, for his kingdom, there is a punishment. And Jesus says, cast that unprofitable servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then we have darkness. Come forth. Chapter 16, verse 10. A severe darkness. A darkness that is so severe that men gnaw their tongues because of the pain. A painful darkness what it says. When Lori and I went up to Alaska several years ago to see her brother and so forth, we went to Mount McKinley, Denali. And, of course, we went in the summer, and I'm talking to uh, one of the park rangers there, and they had just finished a rescue, or an attempted rescue, up on the mountain, and some mountain climbers had died. They had fell, but their ropes 
caught them and hung them upside down, suspended there with broken bones and the like, and there was no help that could reach them for days. When they got to these men, they found that they had tried to kill themselves by gnawing their tongues, trying to bleed to death by hanging there. So it's not a small thing that men gnaw their tongues because of pain. Consider how dark it must be to be that painful that you would gnaw your tongue. The darkness of Egypt could be felt. The outer darkness spoken of by Jesus where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now we read of a darkness upon the beast and his followers, a darkness so severe that gnawing of the tongue happens because of their pain. The pain of darkness. This pain is accentuated because they also have foul and loathsome sores. They also are suffering from severe scorched bodies. And any time you're in darkness, what do you reflect upon? Anything and everything. And they're reflecting upon all their pain, their scorched bodies, their sores, and the darkness itself, and they're in tremendous agony. This darkness is so prevailing that it is a preview of hell itself. God is showing man what hell will be like. And you would think that would cause anyone to repent. What a description, this plague of darkness, this horrific bowl of wrath upon the beast and his followers. And then we have men's reaction in verse 11. Men blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. Wow, what have you got to do to force some people to repent? You can't. You die like you live. When uh, several years back, the, uh, an airliner went down in the Potomac. You may remember that. But it was interesting, this airliner, the wings had iced up and so forth, and they knew they were going down. You and I probably would have started praying, right? No. They said there was so much cursing on that plane right before it crashed that it was unbelievable. Men were cursing God for the fate they were about to suffer. And many of them died. So we die the way we live. These evil followers of the beast, they know that God is the one causing this wrath towards them. They know this. It's not a mystery. 
there's no question as to why they are suffering. None. They know why they're suffering. And God himself is judging them, and their reaction is to blaspheme God. This blaspheming has a reaction by God. No more opportunities to repent. Throughout the rest of the book of Revelation, now you will not see man being given an opportunity to repent. It is possible to reach a point of rebellion and hardness of heart where God no longer offers you grace. We have an example of that. Pharaoh in Egypt, chapter 9 of Exodus, he reached that point where there was no repentance for him. Through the first five plagues upon Egypt, we read where Pharaoh hardened his heart, where he set himself against God. But after the sixth plague, we read that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. That only leaves Pharaoh one thing. Death. Death only awaits him. Death apart from God. That is the worst possible condition any man can face. It's sort of like what Jesus said of Judas. Better this man was never born. This morning, we have the beautiful option of repentance. We have the opportunity, because we're still in the age of grace, still in that time where we can turn to the Lord, and He receives us. Don't abuse that. Be quick to repent. I heard one fellow say that, the spirituality of any person can be measured in from the time he sins to the time he repents. If that's a long time in there, you're not very spiritual. If it's a short time in between sin and repentance, then you're spiritual. It's not gifts. It's not a lot of other things we wanted to make it, but that amount of time between sin and repentance is the measure of our spirituality. Be quick to repent. It's a blessing. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, we we sit here and we see in part what's going to come upon this world and we see the hearts of men. We see it around us even today, Lord, the hardness of hearts. How men will align themselves against you, Lord, and will not take advantage of your grace and mercy. It frightens us a little bit, Lord. And in our own hearts and lives, Lord, we want to be quick to repent. 
I want to be quick to turn away from my sins. I want to be quick to accept your grace and mercy, Lord. So help us. Be with us, Lord. Fill us with your Spirit. Put a heart in us, Lord, that responds to you, not one that hardens itself against you. Lord God, may we never abuse grace, and may we always be quick again to repent. Do a good work in our hearts and lives, and we pray in the name of Jesus, and ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's good to get through that. We're not quite through the chapter, but we're almost through the chapter. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.